All right, crime in America. Uh, another concern, folks, uh, since the mid-1990s, the fast-growing suburb of Amherst, New York, has been voted by numerous publications as one of the safest places to live in America. Yet, like many other America cultures and cities, um, and especially suburbs, Amherst is by no means without crime, especially when it comes to adolescence. So, the great book out. Um, it's called America's Safe- Safest City. Uh, it talks about delinquency and modernity. How do you how do you pronounce that, uh, Simon? Modernity. 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 Yeah, modernity. we might think of modern. Yeah. There's uh, is an industrial form of modern urbanization, and now we're using the term modernity to describe this post-industrial period uh-huh. of suburbanization. Uh huh. Well, uh, first of all, first of all. You are a uh, professor of criminology and criminal justice at Northeastern. Northeastern uh, University. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, I know that university well. I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut. Lived in Ridgefield. Uh, very oh. much uh, uh, know about uh, Upper State New York. Um, so, give me give me a little uh, give me a little. Uh, sketch on uh, what America's Safest City is about, Simon? Well, it's not unlike uh, many affluent suburban communities, especially those outside of uh, large centrally located cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Amherst, New York is outside of Buffalo, New York, right. which would happen to be a closer to the most dangerous city uh, on the most dangerous list. So, you know, you have this uh, disparity in terms of uh, crime rates, and we all know this. You don't need a book about that, uh, based on uh, the type of communities and the type of people who can afford to live in certain communities. So uh, I use the term impoverished inner city and the affluent suburban city. Hmm. Uh, to show a uh, contrast, not only in uh, crime rates, but also in terms of uh, delinquency rates. Hmm. And uh, delinquency is a term, actually it's a modern term. Uh, it, uh, it, it emerged with the juvenile court at the end of the 19th century, hmm. and uh, it so happened to... Uh, appear right about the time that we had compulsory uh, schooling into late adolescence. So a confluence of things were happening, urbanization, industrialization. I talk about this in the book uh, to a large extent. And that, that, that combination of things caused us to rethink uh, criminal responsibility. Hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, the juries and DAs, they weren't inclined to uh, uh, put these uh, 13- and 14-year-olds into prison for uh, shoplifting and uh, other kinds of theft or even assault. Uh, Now, we're not talking major assault, Mm -hmm. uh, aggravated assault. Well, to make a long story short here, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of 
offending going on. And when we look at uh, these less serious forms of offending, such as uh, shoplifting, uh, assault, fights, uh, alcohol and drug, illegal alcohol and drug use on the part of uh, adolescents, we find that there's not much of a difference between the incidence of these behaviors mm-hmm. among uh, affluent suburban kids and impoverished inner-city kids. Mm-hmm. But we do find a big difference in terms of the rate of high-offending youth mm-hmm. and then chronic adult offenders and the rate of uh, high and low uh, chronic offending among uh kids who are growing up in the suburbs, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that, that in part explains why we're picking up this big difference in the rate of crime. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have uh, kids like, uh, you know, these school shooters and the mm-hmm. recent shooting in uh, Oregon, well, they were young adults, but it doesn't mean that that doesn't happen, and I talk about that in the book, and I uh, uh, relate uh, some uh, real true uh, stories of uh, kids who have killed, who come from uh, affluent suburban uh, environments. But there is a difference, and uh, the catch-all is uh, not only safety, but uh, good community uh, resources, good schools. Now, why uh, middle-class parents who can afford it, want to live in a, a good community. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've noticed, um, well, or I've, I'm 61, so I've been through a little bit, um, and I've, I've seen uh, maybe a trend, let's say. Um, in, the th- in the 30s, 40s, 50s, there was Juvie Hall, okay? Kids got in trouble on the streets. Um, they went into the juvenile system, Okay. Um, I, I think we could, or at least from my perspective, we can say that uh, uh, that model didn't work too well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, because because we know a lot more about the brain development of children. We know that there's a gap uh, preteen, preadolescent, um, or adolescent, I should say. Uh, of a, of some years in there where the brain is uh, developing um, and kids don't have uh, the ability to see through uh, right and wrong at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So so now though now though uh, I see and I read about twelve and thirteen year old kids being brought into adult court so yeah. why, why why have we abandoned the juvie concept because i think it was in in conceptual thinking it was it was pretty well thought out and and could have worked so what happened yeah yeah well i think uh your your <laughs> observations are right on uh there has been a change uh the juvie concept is more closely associated with the rehabilitative 
treatment model. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to uh, save the kid from a criminal label, mm-hmm. you know, keep it confidential and actually destroy any indicators of uh, arrest or mm-hmm. conviction or disposition once they uh, re- reached adulthood. And uh, therefore, you know, they still had a chance in terms of employment, in terms of schooling, and a variety of things. Now, the model didn't, as you mentioned, didn't always work that well because, um, you know, it's tough to deal with some uh, real intractable, uh, intractable problems, difficult problems. You know, sometimes there might be mental health or sometimes... Uh, uh, there might be a, a death in the family or something like, you know, something, something really difficult. And then there's the community. Some of these kids are coming from terrible environments, and uh, juvenile court can do very little. Sometimes, actually, the treatment wasn't that good and could be even abusive. Yes. Uh, some of these facilities were not... Uh, uh, very good facilities. So there's a variety of things that happen to transform or uh, cause people to say, hey, we don't like this rehabilitative model. Nothing works. Mm-hmm. Even some social scientists were saying that. And then, well, what are we going to do? Well, they need punishment. They need, uh, we don't need a rehabilitative treatment model. We need a punishment model. And in fact, uh, states, one state after another, started to pass legislation that made it much easier to bring a juvenile into the criminal court at a much younger age. And it wasn't just for these uh, extreme acts of violence. Or mur- you know, murder, lethal acts of violence. It could include burglary and uh, a range of offenses. So uh, uh, there was, there's a generally uh, what happened is uh, we kind of bought into uh, zero-tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. Now, what also happened is those policies weren't evenly distributed. So, uh, you know, a quarter of a million kids who are being brought into uh, criminal court every year, they're more likely to be from uh, impoverished inner-city environments than uh, affluent suburban cities that I've defined as uh, safe cities, Hmm. like Amherst, New York. Okay. Um, what about what about the fact that for the past few decades, I should say, um, technology has driven uh, our world uh, into a mode of non-communication between people. Um, we don't pick up the phone anymore. We don't talk to people anymore on the phone we get you know we're we're using our thumbs mm-hmm. uh, we're on the phone uh aren't we disassociating ourselves from human 
contact, empathy, understanding. You know, a lot of teens, I remember as a teen being confused at a certain age. You know, yeah. who am I? Am I looking for that identity? But yeah. my mom and dad were very empathetic. Uh, they taught me to give everything away yeah. if someone needs it. Um, so, and also, you know, my father was Catholic and Italian and very strict. So, you know, we got punished. <laughs> Um, you're not allowed to touch a kid anymore in, in public school. You're not allowed yeah. to discipline. Uh, yeah. And and we've got this dynamic of single parent uh, uh, households, um, moms and dads trying to raise kids on their own, trying to work, so on and so forth. It's just not the same model as it was in the 50s. Exactly, exactly. And uh, or, for that matter, the same model that was in the uh, 20s mm. or in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's where I thought it was important to bring in the sociology of this. So what we're talking about here when we're talking about uh, periods of times and parenting practices and how they've changed and how uh, even you know, uh, what goes on in the school and, you know, where's the community, where's the neighbors, uh, where's the face-to-face interaction. Uh, that's, those are all very important factors in uh, considering how we uh, deal with kids and how kids have to deal with us mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, of society. So I make the point, this is again the sociology, the modernity twist, mm-hmm. that we don't, we don't have anymore a village to bring up a kid. We're not living in villages anymore. We used to live in villages yes. not too long ago, yes. but today... For a variety of reasons, technology, and one of the big technological uh, pushes that preceded this was uh, the automobile that really changed the way we live. Mm -hmm. Suburbanization would not be possible if it wasn't for the roadways and the automobile and the subdivisions. Uh, You know, we got rid of the street corners, and we have malls now, kids. Kids are not ha- hanging out in street corners. I have a chapter in the book called Beyond the Street Corner View of Delinquency and Crime. A lot of criminology is still immersed in uh, a street corner view of uh, youth offending. But uh, there are no. <laughs> most kids are. Most kids and most adults in America are living in in the suburbs, and they're not hanging out in street corners. They're hanging out in the mall. They're hanging out in their uh, in, in parks, uh, usually the dark side, or they're hanging out uh, most frequently in their uh, uh, recreational basement rooms or uh, going to house parties. So there's a whole. Uh, there's a whole sociology here, uh, not to say take anything away from the psychology that you've uh, uh, mentioned, and I've tried to uh, to explicate that a bit in the book, uh, and I do touch on uh, the social social media as uh, part of that uh, technological 
change. But again, to, to summarize it, we really need society. That's because we live in society with all its complex divisions uh, to help us get through our troubles, especially uh, the difficulties that some adolescents have uh, in managing uh, all that they have to do. Uh, to make it in this uh, world, to transition from childhood dependency into adult uh, independence. And uh, that's no easy task. No, it's not. Um, And I was going to say that uh, I've been listening, and um, there's an educational factor that is not present anymore. Um, We're not sitting down at the dinner table like we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the day, talking about problems, and, and also there's a trust level. There's a there's a trust level between the parent and the child that I see changing now, uh, yeah. which was totally different 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, we aspired to our parents in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up to my dad. He was an architect, you know, great man. Um, but he had his problems too. Uh, right. <laughs> he grew up. During the 30s and 40s, uh, immigrant family. Uh, he grew up in a in a violent uh, right. uh, household. I mean, uh, so so my dad, my poor father, you know, went through his adulthood um, only responding with survival mechanisms that he lived as a uh, that he experienced as a child and had to had, had to cultivate those survival techniques and. I don't think it was until he was in his 40s or 50s that he realized what the hell he was doing uh, yeah. all those years. Yeah. Uh, so the education and the family unit, um, to, in my mind, has broken down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and it has broken down more so for some families mm-hmm. than other families. And that's another important point of the book. Yes. Uh, the dimensions you mention are universal dimensions, uh, empathy, trust, identity. Uh, those are discussed at length by psychologists today and psychologists uh, 50, 60 years ago. That empathy chip is absolutely critical today as it was uh during the time you were an adolescent Mm -hmm. and the abusive household or the violent household that your father uh, grew up in wasn't very conducive to that uh, empathetic. You know, there was other things that I'm sure that was uh, good about it, but we do know that uh, violence often begets uh, violence. So there is something in terms of... uh, the way parents uh, parent, mm-hmm. and we do know that some parents parent better than other parents, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that it's not a good idea to beat your kid into submission, right. you know, right. and you can, you can over-parent, you can control a kid too much, uh, so you're risking uh, that critical ingredient that they need to be a responsible adult in terms of autonomy. If they don't have that autonomy chip, they become very uh, dependent not only 
on a parent, but they're peers. They can't think for themselves, and they might do something uh, <laughs> that uh, their peers want to do that sounds great, especially, uh, you know, if it's... And that can get them into a lot of trouble, especially if it's... Uh, if it's not such a good thing. Uh, so there's, there's, there's a lot of things. So I have some data, a lot of data, and we followed up kids. We've taken extensive cohorts. And those kids who ha- grow up in families with parents who they bond with in terms of those dimensions that you mentioned as critical, that empathy, that trust, that identity. Do you identify? Do your parents trust you? We also ask the parents, do you trust the kids? Mm. Yeah. And we also uh, ask about how they empathize, how they feel with, about one another. So uh, can they express their thoughts and feelings? Would they go to their parents uh, if they had a problem about drugs or alcohol? Mm. Do the parents have problems about drugs? Do yeah. they have a problem with yeah. their parents' drugs? So these questions are all in, uh, all were surveyed, and they were asked uh, through a survey in high school, and then we asked them also as adults. So there's a qualitative dimension, and then there's a survey dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, there's some statistics in there. Uh, I think readers might go through that uh, rather quickly, but there's also a lot of qualitative, ethnographic, uh, real-life stories that I tell in terms of the experiences that kids have with not only their parents, but with their teachers. Some teachers are abusive, but some teachers make a huge difference, especially if they're in a a very troubled family uh, where, you know... (laughs) There's all sorts of things going on. Uh, I relate uh, to uh, young adults who were uh, in deep trouble as adolescents. Uh, But, you know, come senior year, they got it together uh, because of uh, their theater teachers Mm -hmm. and the theater as Hmm. an extracurricular activity Hmm. that really made a big difference. That that's, they really bonded. That's self-expression. Uh, that, yeah. That, that individuality that they can mold. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And this is what parents buy into in terms of a good school, a good school district. Mm-hmm. You know, that they have these, uh, you know, it's not all about academics. That there's, you know, it's about athletics sports, and it's about theater, it's about art, it's a variety of things, it's a variety of before and after school programs, you know, it's not just one thing, it's not just one simple answer here. Okay, Um, I work at a public library in a small town in Idaho, 52,000 people, okay, college town. Um, I get a lot of moms in with kids, okay, We've got story time, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know what I see? I, which cracks me up. <clears throat> Excuse me. I never, I, I was never awarded a bronze star for going to the bathroom, <laughs> okay, as a, as a child, okay? Yeah. But nowadays, 
these parents, I mean, they glorify these children just by accomplishing simple things that you have to do. <laughs> and I just see an overloading of praise, uh, you know, for for anything. And yeah. and what I see locally here in this small town in, in Idaho is I see a culture of these 30-somethings having kids, um, you know, most some of their parents are you know most of their parents are hardworking and successful uh, not monetarily but successful in general and uh, but i also see a trend of uh, of um, not letting the child fail not letting the child fall down not letting the child experience things that we us adults now we went through 40s 50s and 60s i mm-hmm. mean my dad never you know, praised me for eating my peas. <laughs> he, right. he, he said, "If you don't eat your peas, you're sitting there till the damn thing is gone." Yeah. So, so this whole culture—I I see a, a, an emerging culture of just babying children. And you know what? The world has changed. This is not. Yeah. This is not a safe, wonderful, you know, '60s world where you know free love, sex, and rock and roll was was uh, right. the theme. It, it's different. There's threat. Yeah. There is yeah. threat nowadays that most people just don't understand right and the risk in in doing that not letting the kid think for themselves that this is a complicated world Mm -hmm. that everything has to be rewarded and that we're going to guide you in this reward and that award unrealistic about how society works in terms of its complex dimensions. It's not letting uh, it's not letting the child uh, or the adolescent or even the young adult you know, I'm seeing it also in college students uh, when they get uh, uh, a little critical feedback, they take it a little too personally <laughs> and uh, you know, I, uh, failure is part of uh, growing up, and not always being awarded, but just doing average can be okay. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think we have to uh, be able to uh, come to terms with that. There's a real risk. Part of it came from this self-esteem literature which says, you know, where parents are feeling very insecure. Oh, I don't want to do anything that's going to threaten my child's uh, self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they're not defined as a winner, somehow uh, they won't believe that they're a winner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's a little pop psychology that's taken the self a little too far, I think. Mm-hmm. So, what's the answer? Is the answer education at a, at a young age? Is is the answer uh, trying to reunite uh, communities? Uh, to, to you know, well, I, I just think it's education. I mean, myself, I think it's education. I just don't think we teach children or adults uh, what I learned. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what's yeah. the answer? <laughs> well. Uh, the the answer is education, 
but we have to bear in mind that education is not a simple village-like task. We're right. not in an apprentice uh, situation anymore. The likelihood of being, uh, you know, to go back to that village pre-modern model, mm-hmm. it just doesn't exist. The farm doesn't exist. Uh, you know, we're living in a corporate world, and we have uh, a lot of complex divisions of labor that everybody has to try to uh, fit into uh, to make it. So, one of the one of uh, I think it's very important to uh, bear that in mind. It's uh, it's a message that is worth repeating that we have to be realistic that we're living in a society and it's a complex society there's a lot of good things about it you know there's a lot of great technological things that have developed we're living longer we're living healthier you know uh, there's also some things that are not so good and uh we have to recognize that uh Community, good communities, or a good society is very important. It makes a difference. We have to also recognize that parents cannot do it all on their own. Right. That they need, as you say, education, but another way to say that they need good school teachers, good schools, good administrators, they need good programs. For their youth, they also need uh, mental health, community mental health. Uh, sometimes uh, terrible things happen, and uh, people uh, cannot be expected uh, to deal with that on their own. They don't live in tightly knit communities or tightly knit families. You know, grandma might be living in. Florida and uncle in California and uh, uh, father in Bombay, you know, mm-hmm. it took a corporate move to London or something like that. So it's uh, you got to you got to we're more on our own, and I the book tries to make that recognition. The structure of a modern society today, such as our own, and it's exemplified by suburbanization, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which couldn't, couldn't exist without uh, the automobile and all of that, uh, and the way we work today, you know, from our, uh, from our computers. Uh, as I spend most of my day at home uh, working from my computer. So uh, we, once, once we recognize that, we can be a little more realistic than we have in the past in terms of what we need not only to get by, but also what our kids need to, to get by. And that is a certain recognition that society is complex with its various divisions and you got to try to do your best to try to fit into one of these uh, divisions of labor and then uh, you have to recognize 
that you got to do a lot of this on your own. That's that autonomy sh- mm-hmm. chip. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you could do that, you can also recognize that uh, what goes in the family doesn't necessarily go in the school or in the place of work. That we have different. We have to be a little flexible in terms of uh, uh, the rules, the regulations, uh, the rationalities of different kinds of places, and that that's that's the societal point to the book that I think is uh, critical. Well, Simon, you know, you and I understand this. We're talking about this right now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not schooled in criminology. I'm not schooled in sociology or psychology. But for God's sake, I'm 61. I've been through a lot and I've seen a lot. So if I can see it, and of course, you're, you're, a, uh, uh, you're a highly educated individual and you studied this, but but don't other people see this? I mean, why the hell aren't we doing something at this local level? I mean, come on. The people we have in running communities, cities, and, you know, are not stupid people. Um, why aren't we doing anything? Why are we just letting this thing happen? I mean, this well, is what I, <laughs> well, 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 actually... Uh, please please think, make me think, wrong. <laughs> actually, things are uh, pretty good in the safest cities. Yes. The stories I tell is, you know, this, this, there's a lot of offending that's yes. going on yes. in uh, in Amherst and other affluent suburban cities, but it doesn't it doesn't seem to have uh, the kids the kids mature mm-hmm. they uh, they grow out of it mm-hmm. they uh, they end up uh, having decent jobs and decent careers and i i tell their stories uh i follow them up into young adulthood and uh i indicate their troubles in adolescence and you know what they're doing as uh as adults and even one story i tell of a kid who was you know dropped out heroin but his parents stood by him and uh you know he's back in school and you know, loves his parents and uh, went through rehab and, you know, so, you know, there are stories like that uh, that says, uh, you know, there's some things we're doing right. But the fact of the matter is that we have over a couple of million people in prison and uh, a lot of kids, including affluent middle-class kids yes. uh, are in uh, deep trouble. Yes. And uh, what they're lacking is uh, not only the uh, financial resources, mm-hmm. but also the uh, human capital, you know, parents willing to to go that extra step or parents willing to deal with their own problems so that they can help their own kids. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, you know, we know that, uh, some, uh, the resources of some, uh, communities are not on par with those of, uh, affluent communities. So we have to really, you know, if we're thinking in terms that we're all in this together, we really have to think, rethink 
uh, how how we can help not only our own kids but other people's kids, uh, even if they don't look like us. Uh, us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, I I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, uh, we do have a responsibility as adults living in communities, living in society, contributing to society. We do have a responsibility to look after because uh, the more people that look after everyone else uh, creates a more holistic uh, uh, society to live in. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and maybe that maybe that's a message that we have a responsibility you know we we there's no one no one on earth no one in history that has ever accomplished anything all by himself um, that's right and we cannot work uh, walk our paths uh, that we decide to 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 uh, step uh, yeah. you know uh, we have some sort of control uh, right. well Crazy, um, and I was going to say that uh, when, when we when you brought up a couple minutes ago about uh, feeling safe, um, I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, '50s, '60s. Uh, got in trouble in New York City a lot because that was the thing to do. You know, we drive mm-hmm. from Connecticut to New York and see what kind of trouble we can get into. Um, I've been to New York. Uh, well, last time I was there was two years ago, and I felt so safe because everywhere I looked there was a cop and yeah. and you know what I remember that in the 50s I remember PAL uh, Police Athletic League and the YMCA and those were the things that my dad and his friends brought all our kids to you know that community center uh, to interact to learn to uh, to socialize and uh-huh. uh, you know I think I think that helped put in perspective as an adult uh, how important that interaction was a, as a young child. Pretty, pretty Absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. Well, America's Safest City, Simon Singer. Uh, subtitle, Delinquency and, how'd you pronounce that? Modernity and suburbia. Modernity, you know. <laughs> I had to ask someone what the hell that meant this morning because I'm not an educated person. I just, yeah. I just didn't get it. Um, yeah. This has been a great. Uh, this has been a fun um, conversation. Uh, Thank you. So let me ask you quickly before we leave: um, What do you do for fun, Simon? Uh, is it all work and no play for you, or uh, who? Are, oh. What are you all about? What do you like to oh. do? Come on. Well, my wife and I we enjoy uh, swimming, mm. so uh, we uh, center our uh, vacations around great places uh, to swim. And so I am a swimmer. I do it regularly, and when I and I alternate between uh, biking uh, and uh, uh, running. And I'm very proud that Boston had a uh, uh, a bike day where they closed off a lot of the roads. Yeah, they had different. Uh, uh, it was quite quite nicely organized so for the first time i did the uh uh, uh 30 mile run wow. which and then to get to it it's five and a half miles so i did 41 miles just the other week so Holy that's mackerel. pretty that's pretty good for me <laughs> if if you don't mind me asking um how old are you i'm uh, 64 oh so. crying out loud 
you're a pup like me. I'm 61. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the only problem is is that you're you're healthy. <laughs> well, <laughs> or, you, or you're more I, active. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I try. Cool. And and where do you live? Uh, I live in uh, Boston, in the Boston, Boston area, area yeah, okay. at, uh, a town that's right on the border sure. called Brookline. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Crazy. The last time I was in Boston, I think it was in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Wow, crazy. Well, this has been a, this has been a fun discussion, uh, Simon. I, I hope you had, uh, you know, a good time, and uh, uh, I'm surely going to... Uh, uh, think about this. Uh, you know, it's something I think about every day. Working in the type of environment I am, I see a lot, and uh, I don't like what I see. Good. So maybe I can Very. maybe I can help change something at my level also. And I think that that's what people need to do. You know, they need to to introduce chain and uh, change and uh, uh, their their uh, the morality. Uh, within their circle, you know, yeah. and, I, and I think that circle grows and grows and grows. Uh, well, I tried to write the book uh, so it would be uh, considered somewhat readable, and the, uh, I didn't want it just to go to a small group of uh, mm-hmm. academics. So yeah. uh, I hope uh, uh, this, this is a great opportunity for me, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. Well, Simon, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. America's Safest City, Simon Singer. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.